Hello, and welcome to New Hope Christian Fellowship with Pastor John Gilbert. It sort of reminds us, or reminds me, that to always be ready to meet our Lord. Um, in the morning, I came to work on, uh, was it Friday morning, and uh, I was asked to go and fix a bus. There was a problem with the handbrake. So, uh, come on the bus, check the handbrake, handbrake wasn't releasing. So I said to the supervisor, well, I can hear an air leak under the bus. When the, bar, when the belt, bus builds up pressure, gets about six bar, go eight bar, drops down to six, and I can hear an air leak. So I went under the bus at the back of the bus. I was in the yard, and I, could, I found a disconnected pipe. And I said to the supervisor, what I'll do is I'll take off the connector and uh, replace it, put a new pipe on, and refit it, and we'll get the bus back, in, back into service. So I crawled under the bus. I uh, started undoing this, uh, this valve, and I'm on my own now. So I've got the steering wheel cover on, I've got my cones out, I'm under the bus, right underneath like where the engine area is. And as I went up to reach, I disturbed another pipe, and unfortunately the pipe was, it become like glass. And it was connected to the suspension. And now the suspension runs in a separate system to the braking systems. So this pipe burst, and within... A second, where I had two feet of room to work, I had no feet. The bus was here, on here, and the engine sump was on my, on my chest. And I realised quite quickly that I couldn't breathe properly. I could get a little bit of breath into myself. So I, I'm now pinned. I couldn't move either. So the bus, the whole weight of the bus is on me. I'm on my own, and I think, I'm in trouble. You know, I can't move. And if this bus gets any lower, it's going to take all my breath. So fortunately, I had a little bit of lung power left to cry out for help. And I called out for help about three times, you know, help me, help me. And fortunately, some engineers heard me in the yard, because I'm in the yard, I'm not in the workshop. And they came over and they're trying to pull me out from under the bus, but of course they can't move me because the bus is on my chest. So they're trying to drag me in my arm, but I can't move because the, the weight of the bus is crushing me, you know. Um, but... Someone started up the bus and it lifted up the airbag on the offside of the vehicle slightly, and I was managed to crawl my more crawl myself out from under the bus. I still got a pain in my chest; still hurts me when I breathe, but I'm okay. But our Lord is Lord is sovereign. So, if He wanted me to die that day, I would have done. I would have been in a slightly different position. The whole the whole sump would have been across my chest. I'd have had no breath to call out for help, and I'd have been I'd have been gone. Yeah. So, praise the Lord. I'm here today. And I'm here to uh, deliver this sermon today, and uh, I hope that you all enjoy it. So, uh, I was going to give a, a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me this opportunity to share your word with new, the New Hope Congregation, Sarah, today. I ask that the Holy Spirit will assist me in delivering this message. I pray that the message today will guide us to have a better understanding of your word. And it will assist us to all become more Jesus-like and to have a better understanding of the gospel of grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I've called this sermon, Examine Yourselves. Do we really accept the unmerited gift of grace? Or do we believe we earn our right to be with God? Our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, lived in a religiously unforgiving, legalistic Jewish society. The Pharisees of his day grumbled that Jesus was not truly a good person 
as he receives sinners and eats with them. In that society, to associate with people who were deemed unclean made you unclean. All of us here would have been considered to be unclean as none of us here was born a Jew. For the moment, imagine that we were all born Jewish. We regularly attend the synagogue and participate in all the ceremonies. If you hired a person who the better class of people thought was a person of low character, of the peasant class, to clean your house, and they rested instead of working, your house would potentially be seen by your peers as unclean. So you would normally have to hire two, so one would rest outside your home whilst the other continued to work. Our Lord heard their comments about his association and mingling with sinners, and so he spoke a parable to them about a lost sheep. He said in chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel, verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And he found it. He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, that likewise there, were more, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. Jesus used the parable to explain why in heaven there will be a great celebration over just one lost sinner who comes to repentance than 99 self-righteous persons who need no repentance. The Pharisees listening to our Lord's parable I'm sure understood that the 99 self-righteous sheep he was referring to was them. However, they probably saw it as a compliment and they no doubt believed that they were self-righteous due to all their religious works of prayer, reading, fasting and tithing. They had no need to repent because they had already earned their right to enter the kingdom of heaven and they were Jews, God's chosen people. Who could be more secure than them? Our Lord spoke another parable at a different time to the self-righteous, stiff-necked Pharisees who trusted in their own works and despised others who they considered less than themselves. Jesus reaching out once again to God's chosen people. Did they hear him? No, they did not. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 10 to 14, two then went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would know not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This parable no doubt made the Pharisees even more angry at Jesus. The culture and social structure of Middle Eastern peasant villages that people lived in in Jesus' day was built upon a shame and honour culture. People who lived in that society done everything they could to avoid, at all costs, shame and dishonour to the family. Even in Muslim pride and honour cultured Sharia-run countries in 2023, 
Parents still kill their own children for bringing shame to the family. Murdering a child who brought the shame in their mind restores any honour that was lost and their peers accept them as equal and once again, of course, Allah. It was much the same in Jesus' day. It was all about works and appearances. The Pharisees loved all the pomp, respect and bound and scraping people did to ingratiate themselves to the religious leaders of the day. Jewish life was built around the synagogue. If you were kicked out of the synagogue, you were basically shunned and would find it very difficult to function and survive within the community. Jesus created parables to teach us important lessons about the good news. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus shares a parable about a lost son. A certain man had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the good that falls to me. To demand his share of the inheritance from his father would have been an outrageous and dishonourable act. It was like he is saying to his father, I cannot wait for you to be dead. I want my share now. The Pharisees would have expected the father to have beaten his youngest son for this unprecedented insult. What happened next in the story would have surprised the listeners. So he divided to them his livelihood. Did you notice that the father not only gave his ungrateful youngest son the share of the inheritance, he also gave his older brother his share too. The oldest brother's share would have been two-thirds of the estate and the younger the one-third. The Pharisees would have been wondering why the oldest brother was not beating his youngest brother for bringing this open shame to the family. Who is this father? Has he no shame? And not many days after, the youngest son gathered all his stuff together and journeyed to a far-off country. A far-off country would have been away from the influence of the synagogues and religious leaders into Gentile country far from God and his commandments, a place where the son could sin indiscriminately without guilt or shame. A son that left like that would have had a funeral as he was now dead to the family and the community he had left behind. And there, he wasted his possessions with prodigal living, and when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. He had run out of money, and he had not accumulated any worldly friends to stay with. He was not a shrewd man, like the unrighteous steward in another one of Jesus' parables. He had joined himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields of that country was not his friend. The listeners of this parable must have thought about how low this young man had fallen, a Jew associating with pigs, proper disgusting. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. No one gave him anything. There was no payment for the job and he could not even afford to buy himself any food. The pods that he fed pigs with cannot be consumed undigested by humans and so he was probably vomiting them up when he tried to eat them. But then he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have enough bread to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The youngest son remembered his father was generous and kind. He was starving to death. He would soon be dead of hunger and no one was helping him. 
The Pharisees listening to the story must have thought, at last this young man has seen the error of his way. His father shall have to beat him publicly and make him work and pay back all he has taken. There will be conditions that need to be met before his father will accept him back into the family, if he accepts him at all. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great distance off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This shoeless stinking son, stinking of pigs, this, this shoeless stinking son, stinking of pigs and filth, gaunt and weak from lack of food. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. The Pharisees who heard this story would have been enraged at the father of this story. The father lowered himself to run to this filthy son who needs nothing more than beating, granting him full forgiveness without working off his debt, put the best robe on him and put a ring on his finger and taken him back to, into the family without any conditions that needed to be met. This is the most outrageous story they have ever heard. Now the oldest son was in the field and he came near to the house. He heard music and dancing and so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might marry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes home, he has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and, I have, and what I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father in this story at the beginning of this parable had no relationship with any of his sons. His youngest son was worldly and looked to sin and freedom from religion and rules to find his happiness. The oldest son was a legalist who had no love for his father. He just obeyed the rules and expected his rewards by begrudgingly rule following. He had no compassion for sinners. Expected, expected rewards for rule following and sacrifice. There was no room for grace or forgiveness in his heart. The older brother lived by the rules of shame and honour. Do you see now that the oldest son was a representative of the legalistic Pharisees? The lost son is you, me, and every other sinner who comes to our Lord and Saviour. Have you noticed the story just ends without finding out what the older brother did in the end? Based upon the Gospel accounts, and the hatred that legalists have against the gospel of grace, the good news. The ending may have been. The older brother took up a lump of wood and beat his father to death for the shame he brought to the family, just as they plotted and killed our Lord and Saviour on the cross at Calvary. 
No matter how many different ways and parables Jesus used to alter the mindset and hearts of the stubborn Pharisees and scribes, they would not change. They had no ears to hear or eyes to see their wretchedness. Getting the Pharisees back in the day to accept the gospel of grace would be like us pouring water onto a duck and trying to make it wet. The only way we can make a duck wet with water is by removing its protective layer. Like the birds we've all probably seen who get caught up in an oil spillage. Once the oil penetrates the plumage, the water soaks in and the bird's feathers will become wet. As consistent rejection of the good news message and sin in the lives of the Pharisees of Jesus' day and believers of today, sin will eventually destroy them. Often in this temporal life and in the hereafter, if they are not clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Due to the Jewish leader's consistent rejection of Jesus of Nazareth brings me to the sad consequences of not accepting the gospel of grace provided by the sacrifice of our Lord and Saviour in this present life. Our God takes no joy in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11. Jesus wept for Israel. Luke chapter 19 41 to 44. Now as he drew near he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is exactly what happened to Jerusalem in AD 70, 37 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, Titus, Roman leader, who later became the Roman emperor from AD 79 to 81. He surrounded the city with three Roman legions and laid siege to it, starving the occupants and defeated the city section by section. The Romans demolished the city, temple and residences of the Jewish people. Men, women and children were brutally slaughtered, just as Jesus had predicted. No matter how many good works, prayer, reading or fasting we do as human beings, we cannot earn enough merit to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. However, the moment we are saved, we will be justified, made righteous by our Lord and Saviour. The same way the prodigal son was saved by his loving father, the youngest son was repentant, sorry, humbled and broken. His father accepted him back into the family without any need of working off his debt. All was forgiven. His sins were put away as far as, far as east is from west. We will never be any more justified in heaven than we are at the point in life when we are deemed righteous. We are saved by grace and our contribution to that is 0%. We are told by the Apostle Paul to work at our salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Do we need to do works to keep our salvation and earn our way to heaven? Absolutely not. What it does mean is that we should be obedient, avoid sin and repent of it when we fall into it. Examine ourselves on a daily basis and don't become legalistic. We're all at different stages in our individual pilgrimage to be with our Lord and Saviour. 
We have been invited to live in a realm of unprecedented happiness and bliss, free from sin, sadness, sadness and loneliness. Remember, when we examine ourselves, it's not perfection, it's always direction. Working towards and being gently sanctified, and sometimes there may be some pruning, which could be in the form of a harsh lesson. Enemies of the true gospel of the good news hate the gospel of grace. They believe in works. They are self-righteous, arrogant, and they believe they have a special relationship with our Lord. Remember, the gospel of grace is still a death sentence in some countries. It is even against the law to preach the gospel in Israel. If we, like our Jewish friends, don't accept his gift of grace, it will eventually all come to an abrupt halt. At the present time, unbelievers enjoy the common gift of grace. Good food, sunny days, lovely music, loving family, children and good friends. To fill the air in our lungs and to see all the beauty of the world and the wonders it contains. And as I said, if this will all suddenly stop. There will be two destinations that people will go to. One, to be with God and to be forever happy. And two, to never be happy and to be without God. If you have not accepted our Lord and Saviour as your personal Saviour, I invite you to do this. It's all gravy. It's a wonderful journey to be a Christian and to learn about our Lord. And the rewards at the end of our journey, this life's end, will be nothing more than spectacular. Unending joy and happiness with our loving Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for making us one of your sons and daughters. For accepting us as we are and redeeming us and restoring us into a right relationship with you. Help us to all grow in grace and continue to guide us in this life to become more sanctified and Jesus-like on our individual journey to be with you in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We meet at Grove Hill Community Center at 11.30 p.m. in Hemel Hempstead. God bless you.